And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we move into a Wednesday. Gary, happy GOP primary debate day. Yawn. I can conjure enough energy yawn, 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 to yawn. even finish the yeah. sentence. We're live from GOP primary debate, <laughs> Red Eye Radio headquarters. And now, with the latest, let's go over to the GOP primary debate news desk with Gary, whatever. Gary, how are you? Doing good. I'm trying to think of what what was the headline that I saw. Was it on Fox News? Mm. Uh, it was. It was. Uh, it was something that uh, when I, when I saw it, I went, "Oh wow!" Did everything blow up with Trump? And it wasn't. It was just the way that it was written. I read it. I read it wrong when I woke up. But I can't. I, let me just see if I have if if it's if they had it uh, there. Um, uh, nah, there was. It was the top headline. Mm. No, it's not. It's not even the top headline. Trump doing the town hall on FoxNews.com. It's not even the top headline. It's not even on. It's not even there when you go when you roll it down. It's not even there. You I'm mean the, to, the 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 fact that he did it in general, the story that he did it. Or, well, yeah, I mean it's on Fox. Yeah. When you when I mean that's that that would be what your top news item would be if you've interviewed the president. I'm I'm seeing it. Uh, it it's specifically about John Kerry. Um, but it was related to the town hall. Oh, yeah. I just saw John Kerry. Yeah. Okay, yeah, All right, I missed that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you saw John Kerry. I just saw John and your, Kerry. And your I just... eyes immediately turned away. <laughs> yes, I, yes. I, I'm looking right at it. It's right in front of me. It's a natural. It's right reaction. in front of me. I just, when I just saw. See... <laughs> I, I didn't even see Trump. Trump is the first damn word, and I don't even see Trump. And it's a all side I, by side of Trump and Kerry. Yeah, all I in saw the picture. Yeah, all I saw was all I saw was the word John Kerry, and I went. And your your eyes oh, went ew. And so I'm going through this, yeah. going where's I'm, I'm going through well, where's Trump? Where's Trump? See, when I see John Kerry, everything just completely blanks out. Jeez, I pretty much have that uh, same reaction oh. myself. Seriously, John Kerry is a muppet. 
How was he not a Muppet? Uh, I wish I could find out what that, what, uh, how it was written. Uh, I got it. It was, it was like a breaking. You know what I hate? The breaking news headlines on my phone. Uh, I will hit it and it will go to Fox and the headline isn't there. You got to scroll it, down. It's, yeah, it's in a whole group of right. And they're making, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and then you go back to look uh, at the headline and you can't find it anymore. The headline disappears. Yeah. That's, a, and that's, uh. that's the other thing too. You know how many screenshots I have and uh, saved on my phone? It's probably half of the storage capacity on my phone for that reason. And also because the headlines change, especially like, in the liberal media with the Washington Post or something when they have to walk something back and then they have to rewrite the headline. It's like, no, nah, better screenshot that. It's going to be gone later when they get burned on it. Well, yeah. the, the other thing was, uh, was, um, uh, oh, come on. Mm. I got mine blank here yeah. mm. from, uh, from, uh, from, uh, from Utah, formerly from Massachusetts. Um, yeah, Romney. Romney. Uh-huh. Romney. Mm, the Romney bot, yeah. The, <laughs> the original but, AI. But Romney actually making a, a comment that makes complete and total sense. Wow. And it yeah. was it was about the fact that uh, the, uh, the the Democrats want money for, uh, you know, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans have said, you can have money for Ukraine. We need to have money for border security. And they're going, no. Yeah, right. And, and, and they for Ukraine and Israel. And they go, right. they go yeah. fine, we want we want border money, too. And Romney came out. I'm like, wow, that was actually a coherent thought. Mm-hmm. And and came out and said, they're willing to deny Israel and Ukraine what they need. To keep an open border. To keep an open border in order, border, to, keep, in yeah. order to keep the insanity of the yeah. southern border. Yeah. And I'm like, Romney said that? Yeah. Yeah. Romney said, that's actually a good shot at Democrats. He was probably reading somebody else's tweet. But that's <laughs> that's neither here nor there. He did say it. Uh, but, you know, with the White House screaming, Biden screaming all day, you know, out of money, out of money, I'm out of money. Well, just have uh, your brother or uh, Hunter send you some. <laughs> You're not out of money, dude. We've seen the money trail. We know that's not true. Um, we got a ton of audio cuts today. Man, the Arizona border just oh my built, gosh, no illusion out there yesterday. Just walk, just it, walking it, through. Absolutely, absolutely insane now in Arizona. Just walking through, but just walking through. Remember, re- remember, and not to our conservative friends, mm-hmm. but it's what the people of Arizona want. Yep, yep. The people of Arizona wanted this. Conservatives and many Republicans. Right. You know, besides conservatives and many Republicans out there. Right. It's what the majority of the voting public wants yep. in Arizona. They when chose you, it. When you see what's going on at the border, it's what the people of Arizona chose. Yep. They're just walking through, man. They're yeah. just walking through. And you, you, you see the one, the, the two that they, uh, I don't know if it was Malusian. Yeah, it was Malusian who interviewed them. And they just said, we're not here for asylum. We're here to get jobs. Yeah, we're here and, to work. And thank you, Joe Biden. Thank you, Joe Biden. Thank right. you, Joe Biden. Right. No, it's, you know, what's interesting is that there was a shot of them walking through that big gap in the fence, you know, that they, they said they were trying to repair. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you guys, not the Border Patrol, but I'm thinking someone in the Biden administration came down there and created that hole. Um, but they're walking through this big gap in the fence. And there's a... There's a coyote, a, a human trafficker on the other side wearing a mask, and he looks dead into the camera and throws his hands up like, 
oh, well, kind of shrugs and then salutes the camera and then walks away. And he's also recording it leading up to that moment. He's recording all of the people going through from his side. I guess he has to prove that to his cartel bosses. I'm not sure, but it was insane. And I thought to myself, it's not even, nobody is taking it seriously except conservatives in America. The cartel laughs at this administration. They laugh at this whole nation. They control the border. They get whatever they want. And if you happen to stop them over here, that's fine. They'll do it in another place. They have complete control, and everyone is just laughing out loud. And, you know, that that interview, we're not asylum. No, work. People forget the overwhelming majority of money that they make when they come to the U.S., they send back home. And they don't care about legal status or anything else. You know, if it helps them get a job faster, but quite frankly, they can do that on their own. I saw that uh, the other day where uh, there were a ton of migrants in New York that were cleared legally to work. It's like, they don't care. They can find work. They come here from a a horrible, horrible economy in their, whatever their country of origin is, in order to find work, and they're willing to go to work all day, every day. And they also want to go home every once in a while. They go back and forth all the time. And we've decided just to make it easier for them to do that. Many of them don't want that legal, any of that legal hassle. Who wants to go? Has anyone renewed their driver's license lately? Can you imagine coming here from another country? Trying to go through that legal process? Nobody wants to do that. They're not going to do that. Cash for work. That's what they want. They don't care about anything else. They want to work. And then the ones that are running drugs, of course, that is their work. The ones that are running humans, that is their work. And fentanyl is still killing young people in massive numbers. And we have an administration and a Democratic Party that says no money for the border. Border security. Right. Yeah. We have to make sure we qualify that because... For the border means they want more money to process more people through. Okay, but so, I thought it implied border security coming from me. Yeah. Yes, it it, it does. Yes. But we and we, they don't. Yes. They really yes. don't care. It does. It does. They for absolutely you and I. Yes. don't care. Yes. No, they don't. They don't. Fentanyl care. stories left and right. I see it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's uh, a number of organizations right now just. Uh, they're just trying to keep up with getting the message out about how bad it is right now with fentanyl. Let me play the one audio cut from uh, Bill Malusian uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, these are uh, two African men who crossed illegally in Arizona. Mm. They uh, came from Morocco and Liberia. Both admitted, Bill Malusian says, they are not seeking asylum, instead want to work. Uh, want work and opportunity in the U.S. Both are planning to go to the United States. Here is uh, just a little clip. 
I love you, Joe Biden. Thank you for everything, Joe Biden. I'm a good person. I want to be a good person here in the United States. I came here because I want quality life. You know, America is a, is a land of opportunity. So, uh, apparently, um, Adams don't come here tour didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and then, the, then the media a couple of weeks ago. Remember when they came out and said, "Well, you know, a lot, a lot of the uh, people that come here, the migrants, uh, they don't want to stay." Like, okay, let's see, let's see if there's a reduction at the border. What if it was in Arizona yesterday? Was it eleven thousand mm-hmm. two days ago? Eleven thousand mm-hmm. mm-hmm. encounter at one spot, right? In the border. And, and by the way, you know, that, that what they were trying to do is play off of the fact that I one of the facts that I just mentioned and the fact that that they want to come here and go back home every once in a while. They don't they don't care about permanent status. But the left wants you to believe, oh, well, they're not you know, they're not going to some on the left. They don't want to stay here forever. Well, the fact of the matter is, as long as they can get work here, they'll keep coming back here. And as long as we just watching them walk through that fence was just maddening. It was like, look at all the cameras around. Look at everything that's, you know, that look at all the witnesses. And right there on the other side, standing right on the other side, is one of the coyotes making it happen, the human smuggler making it happen. That works for the cartels. He's actually recording it on his phone. So I can report it back to his bosses. The cartels run the border. They're making money off of the border. And we won't spend a dime to close it. We won't do it. Yeah. There's no political will on the left to do it. If the people on the left, if the rank and file Democrat were screaming about this, then maybe it would get done. They're not screaming. Yeah, the rank and file, the voter, the Democratic voter. Doesn't care, they don't care about the border. They don't care. Nope. Don't say you do. Because you don't. Also coming up on the show, wow, what a zoo it was yesterday. Riley Gaines calls a Democratic representative a misogynist. Hmm. That was awesome. <laughs> that was absolutely awesome. And then they wanted it stricken from the record. Yeah. But she said, you know, the but she said to her, you know, basically you're transphobic. She mm-hmm. goes, if I'm transphobic, you're a misogynist. Exactly. What we have been saying what for a long time. What we've been saying for years I love on that. the show. I love that. And throw it you, right back at them. Yep, you throw it right back at them. And then you had the FBI director who can't answer any question about anything, anytime. And, you know, the entire thing of, well, there's an investigation going on. There's an investigation going on. We're not talking about the investigation. We're talking about the conduct of the Department of Justice. Right. Not the investigation, not right. what evidence you have or don't right. have. Right. Oh, I still can't get involved in that. Oh, I'm telling you, whether it was uh, uh, Josh Hawley or, or Cruz, everybody, I mean, everybody in the Republican side just, you know, throw, throwing absolute fits. Yeah. Like, this is just ridiculous. And so much of it was on. I mean, the one thing I'll tell you, the, I'll play the weakest moment coming up here that he had. Mm. And it was where he talked about, you know, he said, has anybody been fired 
for what yeah. they did in the Richmond office for Catholics? Right. right. Well, you know, uh, you have to understand some of them were Catholic. I'm not asking that question. Did you fire anybody? Right. Well, you know, uh, did you fire anybody? It's a yes or no. I mean, for such outrageous conduct, absolutely uh, breaking the constitutional rights. Yeah. Clear the, violations of, yeah, of of those people right. doing something that the FBI should never do a fireable offense. Did you fire them? And he did. He didn't. No. Nope. And he's trying to defend it by saying, "Oh, there's some Catholics." I don't care. It's the behavior. It's not the question. I don't care about the label of the person. I care about their behavior. He yeah. just he just doesn't get it, and he was just pounded yesterday. We'll get to that and a whole bunch more. Great show ahead, 866-90-RED-EYE. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. With advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. This preventative maintenance tip is brought to you by Hot Shot Secret the country's number one fastest growing oil and additive company. If you've been driving a diesel any length of time, you know diesel fuel quality can be an issue. There are U.S. standards that diesel fuel is supposed to meet, like cetane number, lubricity, a.k.a. wear protection, deposit control, but oftentimes the fuel at the pump falls short. Let's highlight diesel fuel's cetane number. In most states, the minimum a cetane number across the nation is between 42 and 45, and most modern engines are built and tuned to operate with the best cetane number closer to 50. If your truck has a low cetane rate of diesel, you'll often be able to tell. Cetane improves starting in the cold. Fuel does not burn as efficiently, which means more soot output, less power, and lower fuel economy. This is why a premium additive is needed to keep cetane numbers up. To keep the engine operating at its best while helping with cold starts, fuel economy, and DPF regeneration cycles. At Hotshot Secret EDT Plus Winter Defense, a 7-in-1 anti-gel fuel booster at every fill-up to keep cetane numbers in a premium range while also protecting you from gelling. Learn more about the science behind diesel fuel and Hotshot Secret's EDT Plus Winter Defense at HotshotSecret.com. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal, but man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting, you know. There's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. It's Friday Radio. Uh, he is Eric Carley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. So tons of uh, audio coming up here on uh, today's uh, show. Uh, also, what was the other thing I wanted to bring up? Mm. Um, mm. Oh, oh, yeah, the Supreme Court uh, uh, hearing on the, uh, the wealth tax. Mm. Uh, don't want to forget about that. Plus, we'll get to the Republican lawmakers. Wow. Going at it with university presidents. Did you see that? Yeah. Oh, God. And, you know, with all of their co- code of conduct, with triggering and everything else, a simple question was asked to them. Is calling for the genocide of Jews bullying or harassment under your code? Right. And the worst was a university president who said, well, only if it, only if it becomes actions. And the response was, are you actually saying that only if they commit genocide right. against Jews, right. if they start killing Jews, right. that it's against... That know, everything your, leading up to that is okay. Your code of conduct? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was <laughs> just... My, it was one of those times where you saw how easy it is to expose what the left is in this country. Yeah. I thought yeah. today, because I, it was, I was bombarded by it. I woke up and yeah, you really couldn't avoid it. Yeah, yeah. I, I woke up. I, I, you know, and all I did was go to YouTube, mm-hmm. and there were new things coming up on YouTube constantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, "Well, this is insane." Yeah, I mean, it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I, I spent most. Of, I, I wanted to get a couple of things done, and I kept sitting on my phone just <laughs> loading all the favorites for the show that we'll we'll have coming up here, uh, following the bottom of the hour. It was just. I mean, it was just nuts. Yeah. And it does show you where the Republicans can go against the Democrats, though, for 2024. There's a ton of stuff that they can use. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. I had uh, audio cuts coming up, but technical problems with our computer, so I can't get to it. Apologize, but nothing I can do. We'll try to get it here in a little bit. Uh, but I wanted to play the Riley Gaines thing where she called Representative Summer Lee a, uh, a uh, uh, misogynist. Um, and let me see if I have it here. I think I may be able to get it here. I just found something that uh, isn't, uh, (laughs) 
is installing on me. Okay, here we go. Let me see if let right. me see if this covers it. Yesterday, this is Riley Gaines testifying. Such as teamwork and goal setting. In terms of mental health, studies show that participating in youth sports is associated with lower rates of anxiety and depression, lower amounts of stress, higher self-esteem and confidence. Women must stop. Inclusion cannot be prioritized over safety and fairness. And Ranking Member Lee, if my testimony makes me transphobic, then I believe your opening monologue makes you a misogynist. Thank you. I now, thank you, uh, Ms. Gaines. I now recognize Ms. Perry for her opening statements. Good afternoon, Chairman McLean, Ranking Member Lee, and distinguished members of the subcommittee. My name is Sarah Parshall-Perry. I am a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. As a former varsity athlete, the mother of a girls' varsity athlete, and former senior counsel for civil rights at the Department of Education, I have, as the saying goes... Uh, Madam Chair, excuse me, I move to have uh, the gentlewoman's words taken down. The committee will suspend. And this is where Representative Summer Lee wanted the misogynist comment yeah. struck down. They refused to do it. Right. So it stayed in there. Yeah. And you should have and seen. And it was all over social media. Did, you know, I mean. Did, did you, and, and the look on Representative Lee's face oh was my, like. That's de- that was, was like, defeat. Was like, whoa. Yeah. No, then, she did not know how to respond to that. Well, as, as we have said, on, and because we have been tackling this, if you've been listening to the show, we probably were. We probably spent more time on where this was going to take this country and what this would do to women's sports, what it would do to the women's movement. We were talking about this over a decade ago when nobody else was talking about it. And we were blunt. And we said years ago that every time as somebody sits there and says you're transphobic, you simply look at them and say, hey, we've said a couple of things. You're a misogynist femophobe. Remember the one of the first cases that came about about a girl in a bathroom? Yes. California. In California. Yep. It was a school bathroom. Your daughter is filled with hate was the comeback from the left in California. And then we saw it. Charlotte Observer, their editorial board. Basically, your daughter needs to get used to male genitalia. And we see where they are. It was always going to land there. We saw it years ago. We knew by the response in California that was going to be the beginning of the new agenda to go after any families and any women who were concerned about it, even little girls. You go after them. You see the transgender, the man who competed in Women's cycling in one first and second place. Yeah. This is stupid. It's absolutely ridiculous. Way to go, dude. You beat the girls. Women's sports has no protection if we don't stop this now. Women's sports will be a thing of the past. And what's interesting is, you know, the radical transgender movement has been saying for the longest time, well, they don't want to, you know, because all of these, you know, even Neil deGrasse Tyson was trying to, well, maybe we could have all of these and maybe we can and maybe we can and maybe we can and they don't know where to go. 
because they don't want to stand for anything. They don't want to have an opinion about it because when it comes down to it, they can play sports. In their biological uh, in their biological gender, they can participate in sports. But what was the comeback from that? Well, they don't feel safe in the locker room. So women don't count when they don't feel safe when a man is walking around? Right. So we will we we throw out all the concerns of women and girls for the one, for the one person. Because the man says so. Riley Gaines wrote here, order of events. Representative Lee says my stance is transphobic bigotry. I respond by saying if I'm a transphobe, Representative Lee is a misogynist. Lee moves to have my words removed from the record. Her move is withdrawn, so technically she's still a misogynist. They can dish it out, but they can't take it. Yep. And we had said. Yep. No, you, and, and, and Lee's I, face, as you mentioned, and, yeah. and I'm glad you pointed that out because it was one of the first things, uh, you know, when I was watching this, when the, I saw the clip, I didn't watch it live, but when I saw the clip hit yesterday, I was like, my gosh, she looks lost. Lee. Yeah. The liberal. She and, just looked like, oh, man. And that's why I played the, the audio cut where then there's a little bit of silence and they go to the next witness. Yeah, right. And it takes like 30 seconds before she said, you know, you can tell how upset she is. Mm-hmm. She wants his you know, she wants his taken out. Right. But I would pound. I, I would say other words. I would say, why do you hate women? Right. Why are you a misogynist, Representative right. Lee? Right. right. Why, why do you want to kill Title IX? Right. right. Why do you want, why after all the fighting for women's rights, you know, do you want to kill it? What happened to, what happened to liberal women's rights in this country? Right. Why does a man get to decide and define what a woman is? Why does a Democrat Supreme Court justice, why can't they even define what a woman is? What the hell is going on with you people? Right. I'm telling you, I, I probably, I, if, if I was speaking there, I'd probably end up in contempt of Congress. I was, I was going to say, I, I, I was thinking that just yesterday. There's no way I could control it. Yep. There's no way I could control These it. These people are absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. And we've been, we've been telling this for the longest time where nobody else was talking. And we would get those calls, well, you know. Uh, live and let live. I'm like, what are you talking about? Live and this let live. Live and I, let live. I, I it's believe- girls get out of the way. Right. You're in the way, ladies. Get out of the way. You don't deserve a place on the team. Right. Men get to determine and define what a woman is. And if you don't like it, we will threaten you. Right. We'll come after you. We will threaten your life. We will make it so you're behind the basically held hostage for four hours inside of a classroom with us pounding on it. Yep. And when she spoke here uh, at the at TWU, just north of here, and they were they were shouting at the people that were showing up in support of Riley Gaines when she was speaking there. Yep. Saying, we know where you live. All because they want men to be able to define what a woman is. And for some reason, they have this incredible, excited perversion about men dominating in women's sports. Yeah. It's absolutely 
It's crazy. It's insane. And I'm just so glad that she came out. There's no, as we have said, you can't be a wimp if you're going to discuss things today. You better be strong and you better not back back off. Number one, because you're right. Number two, because the American public, the vast majority, stand behind you. Yep. You win this all day. Yep. Yeah, it was just... This is, it, it's insane. It's insane to think about. And we talked about it. If you're in a strategy room for a Democrat, think about that. Sitting around talking about strategy. And now after October 7th? <laughs> I know. Oh. What is... What in the world? Political strategy... That essentially has has people calling for the elimination of Jews, the elimination of women's sports, the elimination of anything we don't like. And if you don't like it, we'll bring you down too. We're at a crossroads and... And I've been saying this for a while, but 24 is extremely important. And GOP needs to get their stuff together and promote right now something that should be obvious, but do it the way that the governor of Florida did it on stage with Newsom last week and do it relentlessly until November 5th. Because the fact of the matter is Newsom or DeSantis against Newsom. I said, oh, okay, okay. I just want to make sure. And if you're on the side of the left and you're voting for them, you're voting for this radical behavior. You're voting in support of all of this radical behavior, full stop. There is no middle ground. It's the radicals versus everybody else. Here's more from Riley Gaines yesterday about, uh, you know, what the repercussions have been since she came out and uh, said, Men should not be competing with women. Physical contact uh, or throwing something at one another or collision. Uh, these girls are scared. Um, another th- thing I hear across the country uh, is women are terrified to speak out. Uh, they're terrified to be vilified. They're terrified to be called transphobic uh, or bigots like we've been called in, in this hearing today for, for stating our views. Uh, and that's a real threat. And I understand it because since taking the stance that I've taken, my address has been leaked, and since my address was leaked, I've had people showing up at my doorstep. I've had drones flying above my house. Uh, I can't even tell you the amount of death threats that I've had that have uh, me- rendered the FBI getting involved. Uh, it's real. The vitriol I've faced, I've been held for ransom for over four hours where these protesters demanded that if I wanted to make it home to see my family safely again, I had to pay them money. Uh, I've been hit. I've been spit on. I've had bottles thrown at me, drinks poured on me. Uh, Again, uh, Thomas's teammates in particular, they were forced every single week to go to mandatory LGBTQ education meetings to learn about how just by being cisgender, they were oppressing Thomas. And when they were concerned about the locker room aspect, and 16 of these swimmers, Thomas's teammates, sent an email to their administration with their parents on the email expressing their discomfort in the locker room, the administration responded back with, if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia, here are some counseling resources that you should seek in an attempt to re-educate yourself. Uh, at in, Roanoke in College... Of, in, what? In, in light of the time, Ms. Gaines, just yeah. real quickly, um, I, I know that 
the locker room situation that you described earlier, do you think that the NCAA is actually do, working to improve this situation, or is it kind of status quo with them and sweeping it under the rug? Uh, it's certainly status quo. Uh, President Charlie Baker testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee a few weeks ago, and when confronted with that exact question, you know, what does this policy pertaining to the locker rooms look like right now, he couldn't answer. He didn't know what the policy was. He had to tell Senator Hawley, well, let me get back to you in writing. And I think that's incredibly telling for the NCAA president to not even know the policy as it stands pertaining to locker rooms. What a great job she's doing. You know, when she not, said not, that, um, yeah, that the, the FBI uh, had to get involved because of, you know, all the threats against her, I couldn't help but think because the testimony of Director Ray, I couldn't help but think, well, my gosh, are they going to investigate Riley Gaines instead? What did you say, Ms. Gaines? You must have said something and done something wrong to have people this angry at you. That's where my confidence is in the leadership at the FBI right now. Without due respect and no hint of sexism, you go, girl. You know, this is a... That was great. This is, I mean, it was, was everything was spot on. Everything. And in spite of all that she mentioned, she still shows up. Yep. 86690-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Coming up uh, following uh, the top of the hour, more uh, audio. You had uh, Ivy League presidents in front of the house yesterday. Wow. Just, I mean, it was one of those days where you just shook your head going, as you said, are they going to die in the altar of radicalism? That's that's exactly what you saw. Uh, You know, we're going to play the audio coming up, but it is just... And and when you see their faces, they have a this smirk that comes along with the pride of being so radical. It is who they are to the core, and they are willing to die on the sword of radicalism. They are willing to fight this to the end. It's nuts. And this was all on anti-Semitism. And specifically is, you know, calling for the genocide of Jews is that against your code of conduct for bullying and harassment? And it was basically that's a yes and no question. Very simple. None of them could answer yes or no on it. They they outright refused. Yep. Top of the hour news is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. 
It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Oh. Well into December we are now. <laughs> we are. I uh, with, with very nice temperatures. I'm getting the... Uh, okay, I get this urge. Usually it it fades away by about halfway through December. But, you know, to go to the store and add on to my lights on my house and my in my yard, add more, you know. But I have to remind myself that, I mean, it's a pretty big setup. But the more I do, the more I'm going to have to keep doing. And then next year, it becomes harder to set it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> I, I know people won't believe that. <laughs> I actually sliced up with my thumb pretty good in a project yesterday. So that's kind of keeping me from doing some things. Probably should have gone and got gotten stitches. But I used the old super glue thing. It worked. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I got the bandage on it and everything. Speaking of getting old, uh, no golf for a few months. My doctor believes yeah. I sl- have a slight tear in my meniscus. Ooh. Just a slight that'll heal itself. It's not one yeah. that I have to get it operated on, but uh, the turning of the knee. And the last time that I I golfed once in October, well, you saw me limping around here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would get out. The, I couldn't even, you know, it's hardly, I could hardly walk for two or three days. Uh, and then it, when uh, I did again about three weeks ago, well, I've done nothing. And uh, that's the advice my doctor has given me to basically, do, yeah. you know, I, now I can still do things. For example, it's not twisting the knee because right. I can do a t- yeah. I can do resistance yeah. training. It's fine. Okay. There's no problem. And the structure of the knee is fine. I mean, it's, it's the, just it's the back and the way the whole body turns or when you go it's, off. Or... It, it's the it's the this kind of the the twist turn. Right. Of the knee. Yeah. Okay. And and, oh, okay. and and I read a lot about it, and they talked about that if you're if you hit a lot of golf shots, which I played golf my whole life, yeah. it can slowly wear on you and tear, and it's that little tear, and you got to give it. If it's the big tear, you may feel it, you know, for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. Mine mm. was only normally a day, sometimes two, maybe a little bit into the third day. Right. So they feel it's just a small tear, and just like okay, just rest it for a while and and see what happens. I can now, is that the, after you play a, a full round of golf? Oh, yeah, or, yeah. You after, know. after I play a full round. And the, I get arthritis. Welcome to Red Eye Radio, old men. We're going to talk old men stuff. Right? And <laughs> I got a their sciatic phys- nerve that's getting on my nerves. And their physical problems. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, I can still, like I rode the bike yesterday. I rode the bike seven miles. And yeah. I'm like, okay, do I feel anything? It's like, it's fine. It's just, yeah. it's the twisting motion. But I was all set because I took lessons from February all the way through, you know, beginning of October until I started feeling this pain. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm ready. I mean, I'm hitting the ball great. It's like, I was trying to explain it to my father. And I, he's, and I said, it's like I'm a drug addict. Like I woke up yesterday and it was so nice out. Yeah. And I went out and I'm doing some lawn stuff. Yeah. And you just and can't quit thinking about it. The urge. Yeah. I went, wow. You know, uh, it, it's, uh, 
it's like I'm a drug addict and they yeah. just, you know, and yeah. I'm a cocaine addict and yeah. they just put a pile of cocaine in front of me. It's like driving range, driving range. I got to have the drive. I mean, there was like a, I, there was I, like a physical urge yeah, to yeah. go to the, and I couldn't go. And it was like, I got to get my hit. I got to get my hit. I, I had that for the uh, longest time with running uh, back when I was running five to seven miles a day. And it was, you know, it's one of those things when you have an injury, it's like, okay, don't. And the sciatic nerve becomes a problem. But the thing about that is you've got to stretch it out. You've really got to, you know, make it work and not, you know, um, uh, bring on more stress and everything else. So you, you've really got to work at that. And that has to be job number one. So I had horrible sciatic nerve problems for the better part of three years and solved it. But I wouldn't have been able to if I'd have, you know, just kept running and, you know, just it's and that's the thing with the sciatic nerve. Once you start moving around a bit, uh, you can or at least I could, you know, I had some motion. But there were days when I couldn't. I was at an event and I was at a parking garage, Dallas Convention Center. And getting from my car to the, you know, oh, yeah. the room where we had the event. Yep. Excruciating. But. Yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta, because you want to be able to move around later. That's the that's the entire trick of it all. Is that you? But you hear that calling of man, I'd like to go. You know, yesterday was unbelievably great. I was doing some projects early, and it's still fairly cool out. But I mean, as soon as the sun got into the sky, it just turned into a beautiful day. Yeah, it was it was uh and and I had the same problem. You I I'd sciatic nerve problems really bad. Resistance training took it away. Yeah. yeah. And uh if now I'm I'm pretty good on always doing it a couple mm-hmm. of times a week at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Uh but if I don't do it, now I, I ha- this hasn't happened for a few years, but whatever it was a few years back, I didn't do anything for about two weeks. I could feel the sciatic nerve then. It didn't hurt, but I could feel, and it was like, okay, get back. Get back to doing what you need to do. And with this here, like right now, I mean, I was doing, rode the bike seven miles, walking around, doing everything. Mm -hmm. It was all, it's all fine. It's like I'm normal. You wouldn't, you sit there and go, what are you talking about? You can't play golf. You look fine. You're walking fine. Mm -hmm. But it's not the walking fine. It's doing it for 18 holes. And the thing is, it doesn't affect me, like the structure that there's, you know, structurally, the knee's fine. Uh, I've had my best rounds. I've had my best golfing holes. I've only played twice in the last two months. Well, three months now. Uh, and I played great, especially the back nine. Yeah. I mean, I'm playing great, and it's all because – but I'm not – wasn't playing enough. But once I got warmed up, it was like I'm, you know, powering the last five out of six holes and things like that or mm-hmm, having a, mm-hmm. you know, having a birdie and a couple of pars and – really coming strong so mentally i have it and even the pain isn't as bad it's after it's after you know it's like sitting down in the car and then driving home and then getting out of the car going oh boy i'm going to be suffering for the next day right and it's just got to the point where i'm like okay i can't can't do this anymore what do i do and it's like okay got to give it up for a while start Mm -hmm. next spring see how it is next spring and Mm -hmm. just you know work out and you know and and do everything you know this whole thing is not what it's chalked up to be. Yeah. This old thing. Yeah. Except for yeah. the, except mentally, as I've said, I would rather be this age than any other. I'd rather be at this time in my life than any other time in my life, even with, 
even though you know your physical abilities are slowly decreasing. Yeah, I uh, and the project that I was doing over the last couple of days, you know, it's the stooping. It's not the stooping. It's the standing <laughs> back up. Ah. So after about two and a half, three hours yesterday, and, you know, I've already sliced my thumb open. You know, I got to get the day off to a good start. And finally, I was, and, and I was done anyway. Physically, I was, all right, okay, I had enough of this. But I was, I was done with the project, and I'm standing up, walking through the house, and my youngest daughter looks at me and goes, Dad, you need some help? No. <laughs> Maybe. Uh yeah, it no, was. Uh, you make a great you make a great point though. The standing that, up, that the the standing up. The worst thing for me. This is what this is. If there's the one thing I hate about getting old, right, is the fact that it's not what you think that's going to be the most uncomfortable thing. Uh, it's not. For example, I mean, for example, I can uh, ride the bike. I do the res- resistance training is basically lifting weights, but you're yeah. not trying for definition. You're trying just to keep your muscles toned, but you still do it for a significant period of time. And it takes discipline because I hate the machines. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hate them. But after I'm done, I'm like, thank God I did that. Mm-hmm. And I know it's making my joints a heck of a lot, you know, uh, better than they were even, you know, 15, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it has paid off. But the thing that really gets you is when you're like, okay, I've really solved all the problems. And then you can't stand for a half hour. Yeah. Standing yeah. is the worst thing. That's uh, just on, standing. I, I can I can run three three and a half miles. Standing or walking slowly <laughs> on my back is I the know. worst. I know. I know. That's it's just, just the worst. Like standing, it's like look up. I look up. God, come on! What yeah. kind of cruel joke is this? Well, yesterday I'm like, you know, because at one point I was like, you know, I don't have to get up. I could sleep in the front yard. <laughs> it would look weird to the neighbors, but to me, it's camping. And it's like, you know, that's, that's the other, it's just the mail, the mail guy came by the other day and I was doing a project out there and he goes, Hey, uh, how's it going? It's great. It's just sitting there on the front porch. He goes, all right, well, enjoy the rest of your day. And I'm thinking, I just need to stand up. That's all I need to do. If I can accomplish <laughs> that, I can go back in my house. Uh, yeah. Those, those are the times where it's like you're, you do some physical activity or do something and you're sitting down and it's like, oh boy, I have to get up. Yeah. And then yeah. I think about my and, and the thing is so I cannot the one thing is when I go back to see my dad I can never complain about that. Right. He's 97 yeah. Yeah. with the walker. He'll look at me and go, "Um try being my age." Right. It's like, right. I can't win. <laughs> you dad you win. Yeah. <laughs> I cuz is, you know, especially his back. Right. The stenosis in his back, I mean it makes, you know, he's yeah, hunched over mm. not as bad as he was uh he was doing a lot of physical therapy, mm. not as bad as he was, but still, you know, it's bad and it's the physical things. And then I look at him and I, I know that he was always youthful and his mind is the same. Yeah. And I think to myself, yeah. you know, I know mentally how we're all dealing with the, I mean, basically we're physically, you know, we're both healthy, but the physical ailments, it hurts. Yeah. You know, it, it hurts. It's physical yeah. pain. And then I think of my dad, I'm like, wow. And his brain is so active, so his brain, and I don't think that ever goes away. I think, yeah, right. That as long as you have all of your faculties and you, you and cognitively, you're you're 
as close as you possibly can be to 100%. I think most of us think we're still 18. There's a name for that. And I, it, I, it, there was an article just about a week ago that I, that I came across. And, uh, you know, Google must know that I'm old, getting old. <laughs> um, but it talked about as you're aging and those that have, that are still, you know, mentally fit. I think it was surrounding the death of Charlie Munger at Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, I think it was related to that because he was still very sharp in his latest years, you know, uh, dying recently at the age of 99, but they talked about his incredible life. Um, and, those, you know, and but it talked about also the types of individuals who are, you know, still think, and I would include your dad, uh, my dad, where their critical thinking is still there in their 90s. And, you know, they're still very sharp people. And Charlie Munger had, you know, uh, problems getting around later in life in terms of his physical, uh, you know, issues. But mentally, you know, he was still sharp as ever. And you look at those things, you know, of, of the types of individuals, but they talk about, uh, the article talked about how those individuals were always, you know, reading, always curious about something, always, you know, kind of exercising their mm-hmm. mind, you know? Yeah. And, and which is always good. Uh, they say that it, it can be good in the battle against um, uh, any kind of uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, Um but I, I'm a strong believer in, and I never stopped reading because of the job, but I don't think, I mean, if the job went away and I was doing something else, I would still never stop reading. I, yeah, I'm, I, I've gotten me. to the point where I'm the annoying person in the room saying, oh, what I would much rather read than watch TV. You know, I'm that guy now, and I used to be annoyed by that guy, but that's definitely me now. And it, because... I'm always because I've become more and more curious. You know, when the when the clock starts getting shorter, <laughs> it's like the Cowboys. For the first eighty five percent of the game, they stink, and then they realize, oh, we're behind. We better do something. Well, me, you know, eighty five percent of however long I've got left, my clock is ticking. Oh, I better get caught up on some things. I'm better mm-hmm. up the score. And that's kind of the thing with me is that that curiosity leads to more and more things. And it all relates to the job. It happens to relate to the job. Um, you know, but the, it, I find it more satisfying. The interesting thing, my buddy sent me a, a uh, my, and this was in a, a group text with my uh, two of my lifelong buddies. And he sent me, and it's a guy watching the news, and he goes, uh, I, I need relief from this. So, you know, and he's watching the news on TV. Yeah. And then the next one is watching the Buffalo Bills. And he goes, I need relief from this. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then he goes to the Buffalo Sabres. I need relief from this. And it shows him with the TV off reading a book. And, and, I, and I thought, I said, well, the only thing is, I said, the news. And I go, this is how, this is how incredible. And I view it as something incredible in my life, a blessing mm-hmm. in my life, is that <laughs> I'm the opposite. Yeah, I'm I'm driven mm-hmm. towards the news. Yeah, in order to take out of my mind all my stinky sports teams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, they all stink, but I get to go on the radio and talk about all the stuff of poli- What we we talk politics and religion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, I just threw religion the in things, there because the two not things we, you're not supposed to bring up. Exactly. I go and 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 that's my that's my savior. Yeah, that's what makes the world 
much more relaxing is talking about all the insanity that we'll continue doing. More insanity coming up next. Wow. This is really and, insane stuff. In, including some religion points. Yes. Yeah, when it comes yes. to the FBI. Yeah. Yes. 86690 Red Eye. Brought to you by FPPF Fuel Power Max. Independence with carrier authority should be mindful that negotiation strength varies as the week progresses. Typically, the highest rates across major segments are paid for loads negotiated on Sundays, and the highest volume of loads for all segments is seen on Mondays, also the weekday that tends to be the best for flatbed negotiations, yielding the best rates. Owner-operators tend to have less negotiation strength on Tuesday, which shows the lowest weekday spread between brokers' offered rates and actual paid rates. Broker offers tend to rise by Wednesday as the end of the week is in sight. This day also seems optimal for the 3 o'clock hustle, so-called for its reliance on that afternoon time of day, when brokers are getting nervous, to improve negotiation strength. Stay mindful of this system to maximize your revenue. Brought to you by Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, he is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. I'm just checking the time. The, our, we'll start with the audio cuts coming up following the bottom of the hour. All right. Okay. okay. And, the, and the first one is with the uh, the Ivy League presidents. Yeah. On the simple question, <laughs> is calling for genocide against the Jews part of your code of conduct? Right. Would that for, be considered harassment? bullying and harassment. And bullying and... And they can't. What is amazing? This I just find this amazing that you actually have a political party that can that will not be honest about anything that they believe. Right. If right. you believe it, be honest about it. Yep. They won't. They won't do it. Be honest. Nope. They won't do it. They won't. And and they they don't own it, but yet they you know they they carry on that agenda. And so many on the left won't own it. My thought is, you own it either way. Oh yeah, you do. You know, we, yeah, oh yeah. It, it's it's the it's the conservatives who are pointing out that this is all them, and this is how they think. This is how they behave. You know, it's not even political. It's a brain thing for me. How can yeah. you go through your right. entire life yeah. believing something but afraid to promote it? Right. How can you not own I, it? I, I could how not. How can you not promote it at every yeah, turn? I could never operate that way. Right. And they do it as if it's normal. Right. So what is it? The focus has to be, we want power. Right. And we want control. Right. And the public will push back if we tell them what the right. truth if is. Right, if we actually own it. Call in and get a word in edgewise. 
Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. All right, this audio cut pretty pretty telling is what I'll yeah, say. Yeah. Uh, it was the presidents of MIT, Harvard, and Penn, University mm. of Pennsylvania, mm. were all asked this question yesterday before Congress. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your university's code of conduct? All right. Here we go. Does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? Oh, my God. <laughs> the speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic con- rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board.
Wow. They will die on the sword of radicalism. They will not give up their radical positions. Right there for everyone to see. At least Stefana kept saying yes. Well, no, it's... You're saying it should be yes. You're saying the answer. It should be yes. Right. But it's not. You're not saying yes. Yes. You're not saying yes. I believe it should be. You don't. And your institution does not. And that absolutely mind boggling. I, I wonder, and, you know, we talked about uh, the story you brought uh, a few days ago about how more and more employers are saying uh, on certain uh, jobs, uh, for certain jobs, they're going to uh, do away with the requirement for a, a bachelor's degree, a four-year degree. Um, and, you know, that's something we suspected could happen. But I wonder how many employers are going to look in the future at these, you know, elitist campuses and the sheepskins that come from them and then wonder the person that's applying for that job, what product they are. There are some critical thinkers in terms of the students at these institutions, I have no doubt. But also the shaping of the minds and the radicalism that's going on from the leaders of these institutions has to be a great concern. And I wonder how it changes with employers going forward. Well, understand that it does uh, it does come from the top down. Yes, here, yeah, uh, at these universities. Yep. Uh, I'm not surprised by the answers of the university presidents because that's why so many of these Ivy League students are chanting for the genocide of Jews. Yeah. Because that's the message that comes from the top down yep. at these Ivy League institutions. Yep. And if the presidents think this way, they're going to hire professors who think this way that's going to promote to students the same insane anti-Semit, pro-anti-Semitism genocidal mindset that exists today. Yeah. It's no accident. Nope. They they wouldn't answer the question because they would have to say, no, we don't believe that it is bullying or harassment under our code of conduct. Because what they're implying, what they want people to believe, because they don't believe you're smart enough to figure this out, by the way. So that what they want the ketchup eaters of the world to believe is that these radical students are just issuing an opinion. They're just issuing the thought based on where they stand. It's just an opinion. This is not an opinion. This is radicals calling for the elimination of Jews. Yeah, talk to the Jewish uh, students now. If, If you allowed all free speech and you had no code of conduct, but we know the code of conduct involves anybody who might be triggering mm-hmm. yeah, from right. the right to the left. Right. So bringing out what the hypocrisy is. If you just said, look, we, don't, we, do, we do not police any free speech 
or a- anything that anybody says whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's never going to happen at a college right. campus. Right. You're never going to do that, and you're not going to you're not going to uh, you know you're going to have some code of conduct, even if it's the opposite of a code of conduct. If it's something that allows threatening things to be said to a group of students, which well, is exactly what's going on at those college campuses. Uh, Republicans brought uh, a ton of these people uh, uh, of uh, that have been harassed uh, Jewish students in front of the media yesterday. We'll get well, some of that also coming. And, and 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 that's the thing. How far do they want this to go? Well, and you know, unless it's put into action. So you're going to wait for somebody to be hurt or killed. First of all, as pointed out here in the audio, you just heard. You mean they have to commit genocide? Actually, commit genocide? That was that's why we had that's why you heard us on the air going, my God! But but think I mean, about it's like think about that. Think about the you know the family of a student. If a if, if a student were 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 injured or killed, you did nothing. You did nothing. Well, until it's put into action. Well, but now that they put it into action, we'll do something. Well, probably because their explanation would be, but killing one or two isn't a genocide. A genocide is thousands. Right. They're going to, they, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Sorry. But They're going to Fauci this thing <laughs> to the end. Well, on this day. That's let, not the definition on, of genocide. On this day, let's say Christopher Ray instead of Fauci. Yeah. Christopher Ray, this right. thing. And we'll have audio coming up there, too, in a little bit. Fauci Ray. That, uh, but that's that's how they that's how they argue. Well, that's not the definition of genocide. You're absolutely right. They were only targeting students on this campus, not the entire global Jewish population. Right. I mean, My gosh. But that was did she know? You know, we talk about the left having no self-awareness. I would be very self-aware if I said what the, because it was the president at Penn that first said it. Yeah. Well, it's in conduct only if that turns into that conduct. Right. And then Elise Stefanik, you mean they have to commit genocide <laughs> Are you before saying? it would be against the <laughs> right. student code of conduct? Right. Well, okay. Genocide and murder. Oh, yeah. They're. I mean, they're not at the top of the list, but they're on the list. We'll take action against that. I mean, it would, I, I don't know if you're working on a campus like that in administration or in the faculty and you see this radical behavior and you're wholly against it. How do you not just, I mean, you just have to leave. I, there's no way, no way I'd want to be attached to that institution ever. How many how many critical thinkers who have their degree from one of these universities and don't agree with the radicals and are looking at it going all the work that I did all everything that I'm proud of everything that's hanging on my wall and look how they're look look at what's happening look at how radical things have become I, it's just sickening. You know, when, um, when I used to do my skating workouts, <laughs> talking about getting old, but this, I don't think I've done it in about 10 years, but there was right. an older gentleman that was actually taking, he had the time and he was actually taking figure skating lessons. Right. I was doing a hockey workout. 
he was sure taking you the were. You just happened to be on the ice with a guy who was and, figure skating, and he, he <laughs> and you happened to be wearing sequins. <laughs> just a coincidence. And, but he graduated from Harvard, was in business his whole life. Yeah, and I remember back then, ten years ago, because we were talking economics. I go, and he, I guess he had a business economics degree. Mm. I said, and I forgot what the topic was on economics. And maybe they were pushing, uh, somebody at Harvard was pushing Keynesian economics, and we got into the discussion. I go, what the hell happened to Harvard? Is yeah. that what you were taught? He goes, God, right. no. Because yeah. I have no idea. It's a foreign land to me. Hmm. I wonder, he was older, so I, if he's alive today, I wonder what he would think of Harvard today and and University of Penn and these Ivy League schools out there. Yeah. And the pro-genocide mindset that seems to exist right it's insane it is 866-90-RED-EYE get in touch with Red Eye Radio toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, he is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Yeah, so you uh, you hear that audio uh, yesterday from mm. the uh, the House and the the Ivy League presidents, and you just shake your head, and you know you do wonder. I mean, you you there's been a, there's another story that I saw this week also. This week, I know last week we talked about the fact of of uh, of now uh, employers now looking at college graduates and saying. You don't have to be a college graduate anymore. Right. But also the couple articles written specifically on if you come from some of these radical colleges, you have companies looking at you going, we don't want to deal with what they might have been taught. That actually talking and putting down an Ivy League school could work against you in in certain industries and in certain companies where they say, my God, and and this what what happened yesterday doesn't help at all. No, no. And I'm not saying that there aren't good critical thinking people inside these institutions who reject what's happening right. there that are students but are afraid to say anything. It's the same thing of all those women swimmers that were afraid to speak because they thought that their 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 swimming careers would be destroyed, that there was an organized effort to intimidate and bully and threaten these people. And so there are probably some good people. I'm, there are good people everywhere that that look and go. This is just ridiculous. What's going on here uh, on our on our campus? But if you go to that institution now, they've got a reputation. Yep. And industry yep. doesn't want to deal with that anymore. They don't want to deal with the liberal agenda. One of the reasons is they've been lied to so much. We talk about going all the way back to the summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. They all got burned. Yep. They got burned by Black yep. Lives Matter. Yep. They got burned. And they invested, by- literally invested, I don't know, I, I, I wonder how many invested, not just in giving money to Black Lives Matter, but also in their marketing where they showed their support for BLM, you know, yep. and then got burned. I would love to know the total of all industry that bought into that.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. Good morning. Welcome. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, also, it was a zoo yesterday. FBI Director Christopher Wray uh, in front of the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee uh, yesterday. And here's some of the back and forth between Ted Cruz and the FBI Director. As you know, I am deeply concerned about the conduct of both the Department of Justice and the FBI, particularly in the last three years during the Biden administration. I think the Department of Justice has been profoundly politicized under Attorney General Merrick Garland. And I think the FBI has as well. And unfortunately, I think you've been unwilling to stand up to senior career officials in the FBI who's allowed the FBI to be politicized. I'll tell you, I regularly speak with FBI agents across the country who are unhappy about the integrity of the institution being weakened because DOJ is being treated as a political weapon. I want to talk in particular about the investigation into multiple allegations of corruption concerning Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Because the Department of Justice has, I think, from the outset, tried at every step to stop investigation into corruption from Joe Biden. As you're aware, a WhatsApp text message was sent to Henry Zhao, a senior Chinese communist from Hunter Biden, that reads as follows. I'm sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Now, Democrats and those in the media trying to defend the White House repeatedly say there is no direct evidence of Joe Biden's involvement in his son's corruption. Well, this is a text that is direct evidence that is stating that it is his father that is going to retaliate. Now, an IRS whistleblower, Gary Shapley, testified before the House of Representatives that the natural step he wanted to follow was to determine whether Joe Biden was in fact sitting next to his father when this threat was made to extort millions of dollars from a Chinese communist. And what the IRS whistleblower testified is that when he tried to find out whether Joe Biden was sitting next to Hunter, that the DOJ blocked getting the GPS data on Joe Biden's phone? Did the FBI try to ascertain where Hunter Biden was and where Joe Biden was when this text was sent? Well, I think the questions you're asking uh, go to the ongoing investigation being led by Special Counsel Weiss, and so I'm I'm not going to be able to discuss what is or isn't in scope. So look, there's been testimony under oath 
from the IRS whistleblower that you did not seek the GPS data. And you're right. David Weiss, the special prosecutor, is in charge of it. And it is David Weiss and his underlings who, the, according to the IRS whistleblowers, have alleged that they're the ones trying to stop the investigation. They allow the statute of limitations to run on many of the most serious violations. Not only that, IRS whistleblower Shapley testified that on September 3rd, Assistant U.S. Attorney Leslie Wolf explicitly told investigators that despite having probable cause to search, quote, there is no way a search warrant would be approved when the evidence in question was located inside of Vice President Biden's guest house. Wolf stated that, quote, the optics prevented such a search. Is the FBI, do they make a routine practice of allowing partisan political optics to prevent investigating serious evidence of corruption? My instructions to our people on this and on every other investigation are that we are to follow the facts wherever they lead, no matter who likes it, no matter what political influence. Then why did you get the GPS data on where Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were? Again, Senator, with respect, I can't discuss an ongoing investigation. And and Director Ray, you and I have gone round and round on this because I understand any time you're asked about this, the answer is it's an ongoing investigation. Of course, the investigation isn't ongoing. You're not doing the work. You got whistleblowers pointing out that you're not doing the work. And you are hiding behind the skirts of the attorney general. Look, the whistleblower also testified that the attorney general, when he came before Congress, go to the next chart, came before Congress, lied under oath to this committee. The attorney general testified to this committee in response to my questioning. I have pledged not to interfere with the Hunter Biden investigation. I have carried through on that pledge. The IRS whistleblowers have alleged the attorney general lied under oath a felony. Was the attorney general telling the truth when he said this? Do we have the chart? We don't have the chart. Was the attorney general telling the truth when he said, I have pledged not to interfere with the Hunter Biden investigation and I have carried through on my pledge? Again, I, I can't speak to the attorney general's testimony. I can only tell you what my instructions have been to our people. Has, and the, I has there been political be interference in the investigation into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden? Not that I have experienced. Were the investigators allowed to investigate whether Joe Biden was complicit in the corruption? Again, there is an ongoing investigation. I'm asking you about corruption led. from DOJ. Were they allowed to investigate Joe Biden or Is the whistleblower telling the truth that DOJ said Joe Biden's off limits? No questions about the big guy. And as to what is in scope or not in scope of the ongoing investigation, I would refer you to Special Counsel Weiss. That is not me hiding behind anything, Senator. That is a longstanding policy that has been in place through multiple administrations going back years and years and years. Responsibility to the FBI, not to allow it to be a partisan tool and a partisan weapon. The testimony, and by the way, the FBI's done nothing. And I have not, and I will not. Have you opened an investigation into whether the Attorney General lied under oath to Congress and whether the Attorney General obstructed justice? I'm not going to go down that road here. I, I know you're not. That's the point. Nobody thinks you've opened an investigation because you're not willing to. And the amazing thing is, Director Ray, I've known you 30 years. You're not a partisan Democrat. You're simply sitting blithely by while career partisans in your agency allow it to be weaponized. And you are damaging the FBI, and you are damaging the Department of Justice. Let me ask you also, 
the whistleblower testified that investigators wanted to execute a search warrant on a storage unit used by Hunter Biden, and instead they tipped off Hunter Biden's lawyer before the search warrant was carried out. Is it typical FBI practice to tip off the subject of a search warrant before the search warrant so they can remove any evidence that's incriminating? What is typical is that when you're dealing with an individual who has a protective detail, uh, it is typical for agents to be in contact with the, the subject's protective, protective detail, detail. Does the protective detail guard the, the storage unit? Again, I can't speak to the storage unit specifically, but I can tell you is that why, when it comes to... Why would the FBI tip off the subject of a search warrant about the storage unit that was going to be searched beforehand? Does that not undermine the very essence of an investigation that DOJ is purporting to undertake? Again, I'm not going to be able to discuss specific investigative steps. But who that we're is? If in you're this. not, nobody answers these questions, and it's why people are furious with the cover-up, because you don't believe the FBI is accountable to Congress or to the American people. Your time is up. There you go. I mean, and, 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 and the point is, and what Cruz is, the point he's trying to make, is the fact that I'm not asking you about the investigation. I'm asking you about whether your agents are corrupt. Right. And then, you know, mm-hmm. stating what the policy is doesn't answer the question either. You, you, that's, you know, it, it's answering a totally different question, which they often do, including Director Ray. And, you know, to the point of uh, Senator Cruz saying, well, I've known you for 30 years and I don't believe you to be part. Actually, I can't tell you what's in his heart. I have to tell you by how he leads the FBI and the behavior at the FBI and the behavior speaks everything because I don't know. Uh, maybe he was, maybe he was neutral and maybe he was a great FBI agent or maybe a, 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 a nonpartisan at one point. I don't know what his motive is, but you can see by what we're hearing from other FBI agents whistleblowers, and memos that are coming out. You see how they're treating people. You see how they're clearly violating people's rights. And this is the leadership at the FBI, and it all starts and ends right now with Director Ray. Because if you were to give me, if a an attorney general came into my office and I was director at the FBI and they came in and sat down and said, listen, this is what we're going to do. And you're going to behave the way I want you to behave. And we need to look into Catholics. We need to look into parents that are issuing concerns at school board meeting meetings. We need to be deeming them radicals. We need to shut them down. We need to go after and you know this is where they start basically labeling you if you issue any dissent they label you a domestic terrorist if they were sitting if if the ag were sitting across from me i would say you're going to have my resignation by the end of the day if not sooner i'm out there's no way i'm doing this to people and i'm i'm about to become the largest whistleblower ever Because I'm going to tell everybody in front of the world what you just asked me to do. There's no way I would do that to people. So you're part of it.
And when these items are found, there's no way to deny it. I can't tell you what's in his heart. I can't tell you what his motive is. But we're seeing what's going on at the FBI. This is dangerous. When they were willing to go after someone who's been high profile for decades, a global household name, Donald Trump, the way they did, we said it back then and we'll still say it today. (laughs) Don't think for a moment they won't come after you. When the Loudon thing was happening, we said, look, they're going to label you as terrorists. They, if, if they're going to behave that way, they'll go after everyday people. We saw it with the IRS and Lois Lerner. Oh, well, that was just a couple of rogue agents in our Cleveland office. No, it wasn't. That was a culture. You know, the uh, when you um, uh, look at, uh, uh, oh, what was it uh, that I was looking at uh, for, for Christopher Ray? when you look back? Oh, yeah, when you look at Weiss, for example, he keeps going back to Weiss. Well, the problem is Republicans look at this and say that you look at Weiss and the, the deal that he tried to make with mm-hmm. Hunter Biden that was thrown out by the judge. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's strike one. When you uh, then look at the fact that they allowed the statute of limitations on felonies to run out for no explanation at all. Nobody yeah. has explained that. Yeah. And when uh, the last, I don't know if he was asked yesterday, but the last time that he testified before the, the Senate a few months back, uh, Ray was asked that question. Is it normal policy? Well, I can't get into it because it's an ongoing investigation. No, that investigation's over. Yeah, but the subject's still being investigated. So, and and it's like, yep. So as long as somebody's investigating it, you can't talk about previous things that were that were uh, that were done. And so you look at it, and you just say, so after that was over, and Weiss, uh, you know, and and you know, Weiss said, okay, here are the charges against Hunter Biden, and we found the sweetheart deal that it was that the judge, uh, you know, uh, kicked out uh, completely. Mm. Nobody saw that coming. Mm. We, we we really did. Well, then Merrick Garland appoints him as a special counsel to continue it, which then, as we said, keeps it so the Department of Justice can keep not answering very important questions by saying that we're still investigating the subject. Well, how long are you going to investigate the subject for? These things weren't that complicated. Right. And you let them run out the statute of limitations. Why should anybody trust the Department of Justice, or the FBI with what we know what the FBI has already done. You haven't earned the trust. And Ray says, well, I understand your frustration, but that's the way that it is. Right. That's his answer. In other words, you're not going to get anything different out of me. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Then the FBI director also uh, being asked questions by Josh Hawley about the whole Catholic Church situation. No, I don't think so at all. In fact, a whistle. the only reason we know this is a whistleblower has come forward and told the House under oath that the FBI went and interviewed priests and choir directors in the Richmond area 
The, the House goes on to say that the FBI has repeatedly refused to disclose this information. The only reason we know it is because a whistleblower came forward with it. Just like the only reason we know about this memo is because a whistleblower came forward with it. How many other parishes around the country have priests or choir directors been approached? By the way, are, are Catholic choirs now, are, are, they, are they breeding grounds for domestic terrorism? Is this, is this your latest theory? How many other parishes have FBI agents approached priests and choir directors to ask about parishioners? Look, Senator, we do not and will not conduct investigations based on anybody's exercise of their constitutionally You have religion. done so, and your memo explicitly sure. asks for it. Oh, your memo labels traditional Catholics as racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in need of investigation. You have a list of churches, a list in the memo. You've repeatedly said we don't target churches, we don't list churches. They're listed in the memo. So how many other parishes have you gone to to talk to choir directors, for heaven's sake? As I've so said, the answer to that question. <laughs> no, I don't know the answer to that question. But I can tell you that we don't investigate people for their exercise of their constantly protected, constitutionally protected religious expression. I, I that particular can't... intelligence product is something that as soon as I saw it, I was aghast. I had it withdrawn. Really, you were aghast. I was. And, oh, really? And yes, what sir. have you done about it? Did you fire the people who wrote it? No, I had it withdrawn. Have you fired anybody involved in it? Senator, if you would give me a chance to answer That's a your yes question. or a no. It's not hard. Have you fired anyone involved in the writing of that outrageous memo, about which, frankly, you've repeatedly misled the public? Yes or no? The individuals involved have in that you product fired were anyone? not, just a minute, were not found to have engaged in any intentional or bad faith conduct. And in fact, in fact, Senator... A number of the individuals the involved. No. A number of the individuals involved in writing that product in the Richmond office were themselves Catholics. So the notion oh, I see. that so they were targeting their own oh, faith oh, so they is not a jail free card. I see. They, I see. So you're immune and they're that. immune. So we shouldn't ask questions about it. You haven't done a darn thing. You haven't fired anybody. In fact, what the House found is, what is it? You, you admonished them. They were admonished. And their respective supervisors were told to engage with the Human Resources Division to ensure the deficiencies are addressed. Oh, well, I feel much better. They've been sent to bed without food. Good heavens, Director. This is one of the most outrageous targetings. You have mobilized your division, the most powerful law enforcement division in the world, against traditionalist Catholics, whatever the heck that means. And you're just told us you, you have not fired a single person. I mean, here, it gets worse. Your Richmond field office, they thought there was nothing wrong with this. The House interviewed the head of the Richmond field office. He testified. It's all here in the public report. I refer you to it, pages 12, 13, 14. He testified he saw no problem with this. He said he thought it was fine. In fact, we have internal memoranda of the members of the field office high-fiving. One peer reviewer, another member of the field office, wrote, I think this is a great product. I really enjoyed the read. Do you have a problem with systemic bigotry against Catholics in the FBI? No. What are you going to do about this? Are you going to fire these people or not? Those individuals have all been admonished, and it is all going Honest. into there. If you would let me finish. There you go. Wow. Yep.
You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. So, yeah, uh, the audio that we have uh, played, uh, uh, pretty shocking. Well, and, pretty you shocking. know, I could hear these Fauci-esque answers. We do not target anyone based on their blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but if you deem them domestic terrorists or a threat, then you could still technically say, well, we're targeting them because we, it's not based on their religion. And this is the garbage and the runaround that you hear over and over. It's mind-boggling. Well, the, the and the thing is, he goes, you know, horrified when I when I saw it and everything else, and they were admonished yeah, for doing right. for doing so for going after Catholics. Yeah, to me, that would be an automatic firing. Yep, because you know not to do it. Yep, I mean, there are certain things you know not to do. Well, you're violating your. It's a clear violation of their rights if you're targeting in them in that way. And that's grounds for immediate dismissal. How is it not? It's almost like they think they're playing a game. No, they are. It's not. They really are. It's not serious. No, they really are. And you hear it. And also their tone, not just what they're not saying. But the few words that they do speak and their tone. They really believe this is a game. And they believe they're going to win this. When you heard the the audio from, you know, uh, the, the officials from these universities earlier. If watch the video, and by the way, I uh, reposted them on X, the Riley Gaines audio we played earlier, and the stuff from the uh, university heads. I uh, reposted that on, on X if you want to actually take a look at it, if you haven't seen it yet, because you see the arrogance in on their face. And we see that also throughout this administration. This is the culture of radicals. When you look at it, it is no longer about for the top brass at the FBI and the attorney general, this is not about justice. This is about bringing down the opposition. This is about punishing dissent. From National Review, the FBI did not have a working definition of radical traditionalist Catholic ideology when its agents crafted a memo targeting uh, supposed American Catholic extremists, a new report issued by the select Subcommittee on Weaponization of the Federal Government argues in January, the FBI's Richmond Field Office was warned about the rising domestic threat posed by radical traditionalist Catholic ideology and claimed it certainly presents new mitigation opportunities, according to a document shared by an FBI whistleblower at the time. The revelation led House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan to demand FBI Christopher Wray testify before Congress about the report's origin and impact. Ray initially argued that the memorandum came from a single FBI field office in Virginia, though Jordan has disputed that claim, citing internal bureau communications, which suggest multiple offices were involved. 
According to Tuesday's report, the Richmond Field Office lacked a cohesive definition of radical traditionalist Catholic ideology when it issued the memo and instead relied on a single individual's self-description. The basis for the Richmond Memorandum relied on a single investigation into the Richmond Field Office's area of responsibility in which the subject self-described as a radical traditionalist Catholic, the report reads. However, FBI employees could not define the meaning of a radical traditionalist Catholic when preparing, editing, or reviewing the memorandum. Even so, the single investigation became the basis for an FBI-wide memorandum warning about the dangers of radical Catholics. The findings were hailed as a major wake-up call by Ashley McGuire, a senior fellow with the Catholic Association and popular radio broadcaster. Uh, While Catholic churches, as well as pro-life pregnancy care centers, are under constant attack from actual violent extremists, the FBI had the audacity to investigate and spy on those targeted by these crimes, McGuire told National Review in a statement. The notion that traditional Catholics pose some kind of national threat is so absurd it exceeds even Hollywood's imagination, and yet the FBI, an agency designed to protect Americans and their rights, was spying on Catholics everywhere from their choir lofts to their rectories. Wasn't one of the things they said an indication of a radical Catholic, though, if they wanted the Latin Mass? My God, that goes back, that yeah. goes back, I don't know, that goes back 50, 60 years for me. Yeah, right. I remember when they started the Folk Mass and, you know, people were like, oh, no, no, we can't have that. We need to go back to the Latin Mass. But mm-hmm. that was an internal dispute between Catholics. Right. Not anything that warrants an investigation by the FBI. Yeah. Um, And yet the FBI, an agency designed to protect Americans and their rights, was spying on Catholics. Uh, The House Select Subcommittee report also doubled down on its uh, allegation that contrary to FBI Director Ray's earlier comments, the memo was the product of several field offices around the country, including Los Angeles, Milwaukee, and Portland. The latest revelations only raise more questions about the illegitimate targeting of Catholics by the FBI. Catholic Vote President Brian Birch told National Review in a statement, we now know that the FBI effort involved at least four field offices authorized the use of undercover agents to infiltrate Catholic parishes and used a Catholic priest and a choir director to inform on one of their parishioners. Director Ray blatantly misled Congress when he testified that the office or the operation was limited to one office. In August, after Jordan shared information with the Wall Street Journal alleging multiple FBI field offices were involved in the memo, the Bureau told National Review that Ray's original testimony was accurate. Director Ray's testimony on this matter has been accurate and consistent. While the document referred to information from other field offices, uh, investigations of racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist subjects. That does not change the fact that the product was produced by a single office, the FBI told National Review in a statement at that time. You know, the interesting thing Hmm. is that it could have come from Richmond, but they were discussing it with other offices that didn't object to it. 
Right. It didn't. It didn't be. None of this became known until whistleblowers came out. Right. Whistleblowers are the ones that did this. Right. It wasn't where it went up the chain of command saying we can't do this up the chain of command to Christopher Ray that said this has to stop. Right. It was whistleblowers that brought this to the forefront. Yeah, if not for the whistleblowers, you know, we wouldn't know about it. We wouldn't be talking about it. But it, but it, it still makes look, it's as if they're laughing in the face of these whistleblowers, too. That's what it feels like. There's nothing going on here, and we're not going to talk about anything. In making this assessment, FBI Richmond relied on the key assumption that uh, that racially or ethnically motivated extremists will continue to find radical traditionalist Catholic or RTC ideology attractive and will continue to attempt to connect with RTC adherents both virtually via uh, social media and in person at places of worship, the document uh, reads. RTCs, uh, radical traditionalist Catholics, are typically categorized by the rejection of the Second Vatican Council, Vatican II, as a valid church council, disdain for most of the popes elected since Vatican II, particularly Pope Francis and Pope John Paul II, and frequent alliance uh, adherence to anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBTQ, and white supremacist ideology. Radical traditionalist Catholics compose a small minority of the overall Roman Catholic adherents and are separate and distinct from traditionalist Catholics who prefer uh, the Latin Mass and pre-Vatican II teachings and traditions with the more extremist ideological beliefs and violent rhetoric. Hmm. That was in the FBI memo. These That was another memo that came out because initially it was the Latin Mass is what they were looking at. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know who these RTCs are. Yeah. I don't know anywhere in the Catholic Church. It may be individuals. I don't know anywhere. I don't know priests. I don't know. I just don't know anyone who is, who is you know, you take everything they had there, rejects the Vatican, Second Vatican Council, um, has a disdain for most popes. There is disdain for the Pope now, but it's based on what he is, he what is he has doing, said, what right. he has said and what he's doing right. that they believe is not about the Catholic faith. Right. That happens in all religions. Sure. But, and then frequent adherence to anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBTQ and white supremacist ideology. What does that even mean? And, and what, where? Are the, what are the specific issues that you're talking about right. where this is inclusive in that inside the Catholic church? Right. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know where they're coming up with this. Uh, The report drew upon the Southern Poverty Law Center, an activist group that's been criticized Uh for including conservative organizations such as the Alliance Defending Freedom, the American College of Pediatricians, on its hate group list. Yeah. Alongside the Ku Klux Klan, Nation of Islam. Mm. And wasn't there, who was it? Who else was on the list? Wasn't one of the wasn't one of, wasn't one of the people of the uh, in the Trump administration on the list? And then they took him off. Was it Bolton? No, 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 no. No. Mm. 
Yeah, I don't remember. But here's the, here's the question. So they're trying to, if you look at it, if you look at these memos, trying to create something that isn't there. It's possible that within the church you had a couple of radicals. The question is, what warranted the the FBI's investigation? What warranted their actions at any level? Because my my point would be, if we saw radicals inside the church, would that not get out? Because the overwhelming majority of, of those in the church, the parishioners, they're not radicals. But if they had heard any of this kind of talk, wouldn't there be something else that we would see? Maybe even before the FBI got involved. Wouldn't that be something where somebody, there would be a whistleblower or maybe not technically a whistleblower, but somebody, a parishioner or somebody inside the church saying, hey, this is going on. we got a couple of radicals here, and this isn't right. We highly disagree with this, and it needs to be put to an end. But this is, if you listen to what Director Ray is saying, and now he's answering questions, this is the Fauci-esque approach that they all take. Whether they're talking about border security, whether they're talking about, well, Fauci, the involvement in COVID and pretty much anything, especially when they're in front of lawmakers. They get this arrogant attitude and believe they're going to talk circles around you. And that's exactly what you see once again with Director Ray. And with all due respect to Ted Cruz, I don't know the guy. And even if you think you know the guy, I can't tell you what's in his heart, and neither can you. 86690-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. So, yeah, that uh, memo from the FBI... Uh, 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 apparently getting help from the Southern Poverty Law Center, and I did the research. It was uh, Ben Carson, uh, okay. who was right. called an extremist by the Southern Poverty Law Center, Yeah, and they had to apologize to him. Right. That, that's when you knew. I mean, that was the day when, the, when they did that. We said, well, they've lost it completely. They've gone from, they've gone from the Southern Poverty Law Center from a organization that had credibility going after hate groups to now to targeting now, their opposition to now race baiting. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Biden yesterday saying if Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running. I mean, that's just an amazing comment to make. I wouldn't have made that comment if I was Biden. Because it's it's all it's a half hearted thing. Well, I'm only running because Trump's running. Well, and it not, of course not, sends the message that it's only about one guy. Yeah. Right. You know. Well, well, you're not you're not saying I'm running because my plan is the best. Right. And, you know, I'm. We're not done yet. There's still a lot of work to be done. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's not the usual yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> that's, you know, the problem is that when Biden all of a sudden just blurts out, you know, an, a millisecond of truth. It's a problem for the left. <laughs> and I I have to look at it and say, all right, we're going to go through how many things now? He didn't go to the um, the whole uh, climate change thing, the cop thing. Uh, yeah. And he didn't travel there. I, I think they're going to limit his travel. I think you're going to see more foreign dignitaries come here and on summits. I don't know what you're going to do because I, I just don't think he physically can handle travel, that kind of travel. You know, if he's not uh, anything beyond going home on the weekend, I think it's going to be problematic for him. And it it would be for anybody of that age. But clearly he has some issues going on right now. And I he just he's just not. He's just not all there. And I think you get through the next, you know, when you talk about going through the next 11 months. I just wonder what a debate stage looks like. And I have to believe more and more that there's not going to be a debate. Yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, the uh, it was a Trump campaign the other day, basically trolling the Biden campaign yeah. saying, hey, we're ready. We're right. ready now to arrange right. the debates for next year. Are you ready to do it? And they just, you know. Uh, you know, we're not ready to to, right. uh, to right. do it. Right. So you see where this is going right now. Trump is saying, absolutely, I'll debate Biden. Right. As we said, if he does, he should just say, <laughs> because uh, Trump does have the ability, by his words, to hurt the exact point that he's trying to make. <laughs> so in order to prevent that, simply say, <laughs> I yield my time. <laughs> I will be opponent. the best president. I yield all my time to Joe Biden. Yeah. I'll give him as much time as he wants. Right. Because that's the one thing that he wouldn't want. I mean, in in Trump's style, he could just look at the audience and go, don't you guys want to go back to the way it was in 2018? 2019? Things were going great when I was president. The economy was going great. 
Don't you want to go back to that? I mean, I do. That's why I'm running. Just leave it at that. Just leave it lying there. And whatever the media asks you, just ignore it. And just keep repeating that. Man, look, we were on the, uh, on the path, and, and there's no telling how much we could get done with another term. And we got COVID behind us, and, and, and there's a lot of things to fix. We want to get rid of all this radical stuff. Don't you guys want to go back to that, the, you know, when your lives were much better? I do. That's why I'm running. And it's, it's so simple because Biden gets caught up. He's offended by anybody even asking him a question. Yeah. It's, you know. And it's getting worse. And it doesn't matter what the question. You know, know. He's, he's been defiant for so, so long. Now you could ask him, listen, isn't, isn't your wife, the first lady, Jill, isn't she beautiful? Well, let me tell you something. This is serious. A lot of beautiful women out there. Jack, Jack, more fish in the sea. Jack, I don't think, what do you think I don't? What, listen, what the thing. You know, the one one of the things that, that differs, and I'm old enough to remember this, <laughs> is that before social media, the only time you saw a, a president was during the nightly news. Yeah, yeah. You think about it, presidents are exposed because of the Internet. Yeah. Exposed to the public, I don't know, a thousand times more than they were even 30 years ago. Right. And think about that. I I know. I'm old enough to remember when there was no 24-7 news channels. We only had three channels and two of them sucked and we liked it. Right. We liked it that way. I'm so old, I remember when there was no Fox network. Yeah, right. I'm old enough to remember that when Fox came, the Fox network came around, even before Fox News, Fox network came around, and everybody wanted to shut them down for two shows. The Simpsons, because that young boy talking back to his dad, and Married, married with, children. with Children. How dare there be a dysfunctional family. Where, and, and where you look at Married with Children today, mm-hmm. and you're like, really? That was a radical <laughs> right. show? Exactly. I mean, it's now, it may, it may, be, a, it may be offensive today to the mm. left. Yeah. You know, with, right. with Al's uh, uh, statements. Right. I can right. still remember watching the first Married with Children. Mm. And we were, I, I remember because I was living in Buffalo and they were promoting the fact that it's going to be on a TV station that the signal actually will reach all the people yeah. in the Buffalo area. Because uh, okay. remember, that's one thing. I don't know if you remember from Married with Children, they would do the, all right, Fox Network positions. Yeah. And they would like grab right. the antenna and then, you know, one of them would grab the antenna and then they'd all hold hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fox yeah. viewing positions is what right. it was. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I can, st- I still remember the, I still remember the first show. You know, Steve. You know what I wonder when they're looking at you and you're looking at them talking about their wives mm-hmm. and they're looking at you and you're looking at them and they say, what are you thinking? And all I can think of is if I wanted you to know, I'd be talking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Oh, I mean, that was, <laughs> yeah. And I remember that, and everybody was like, whoa. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is a, you know, this is a different, uh, this is a different show. But, yeah, that was uh, extreme back then. But when you, but when you look at, you know, the, the fact that, you know, I mean, cable existed, but nobody was really watching. I don't, when did CNN start? I don't even know when CNN started. Uh, was it before or so, after? Was it before or after MTV? Oh, it was after. Okay. And because it was Turner, and Turner first had... June 1st, 1980. Yeah, okay. And So MTV would have been 81. 81? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, when did anyone actually watch it? That was probably 1991. <laughs> well, okay, for during the, the first Gulf War. For the first couple of years, they probably had News Nation. Yeah. And, uh, well, no, they talked about how early on, you know, the sets were built out of. I mean, it just wasn't quality material. the The joke is it was built out of cardboard. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but yeah, uh, because it came from WTCG, which became WTBS which became TBS, and that was Turner Broadcasting. And CNN was part of that expansion. WTCG stood for Watch This Channel Grow. And basically, I watched wrestling on that channel. <laughs> and and then, and then know, it grew. <laughs> well, and I don't even know if CNN was offered on every... I, we, I don't even remember how many cable systems there might have been back then. We just... I just I thought I'm under the impression still that there was just maybe one or two. You know, I didn't have cable to show how poor I was. Mm. I didn't have cable till I think ninety four. Yeah. We got it when I was yeah. um almost 94. sixteen, so No, 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 no. We got it we got it in Del Rio. Because oh man, my dad was watching Fanfare, which became Showtime. And I'm walking through the living room on a Saturday afternoon. Remember the hockey movie Slapshot? Oh, yeah. Okay, it's rated R. Yeah. I think mainly because of language. I'm walking through the living room, and I heard language that was never spoken in our house. I'm like, oh! And I just kept walking. Then went outside, and like. Wow, Dad's watching TV, and they're saying things on TV that I've never heard on TV. So, yeah, we got it. That was on Laughlin Air Force Base in Del Rio. I think cable TV, probably the mid-'70s. I mean, cable TV was around, actually, I think, uh, in the 1940s. Hmm. I mean, they didn't have anybody watching, but, I mean, it, it, the... It existed at that. The point. technology. Yeah, I think by the fifties there were some like fourteen thousand homes that that had it, but it was still rarity. But in the seventies, I think in the mid seventies, when everybody picked up on on cable, mid to late seventies, mm-hmm. yeah, is, that's, is that's when, when it we got really it. became much that's more, yeah. uh, you know, uh, mainstream. But I guess the 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 point I'm trying to make, besides reminiscing about MTV and Married with Children, <laughs> uh, is that. You didn't see presidents all the time. No. You no. didn't every day. Think of the impressions that you get, which is why I don't think debates are as important. Right. No. In I fact, de, you know, it, it debates 
can reiterate to the public what they don't like about you that they see every day because you can't get a, you can't get away from it. You go to you go to your bro- whatever browser you're on, mm-hmm. boom, it comes up and there's Trump, Biden, whatever. Right. It's there, and the impressions are there every single day. If you go on YouTube, you're on social media. It's all over the place. Right. Right. You still can't get away. You still can't get away from it. Right. It will still some of the big news items on YouTube. Even if you it goes to more of your selections, it'll still appear in there. Mm. You'll see it. Mm. And so the impressions that you get today are just so great. I the reason I don't believe if if it was somebody besides Biden, I think Trump would not be talking about doing a debate. I think they both I think it's to the point where both Democrats and Republicans look at the big debates and say don't need to do it anymore. Right. I can set the pattern. People know who I am just by advertising and by social media and the fact that there are mu- many more impressions you didn't see presidents. You know when you saw presidents when everybody actually made appointment TV to watch a primetime speech. Because yeah. when it was a primetime speech, you knew it was something important or all hell was to, was was breaking loose. Yeah. And so people actually watched it. Back then, people didn't get as upset if the president cut in. Right. I mean, it was still that way to a certain extent, even if the first Gulf War. Yes, it was. I remember I was at work at a radio station, and it must have been CNN was on, and they were announcing it, and our news director was in the studio with me, and we, we were playing music, so... You know, we weren't uh, on the air. We just turned the TV up. And I remember those words. The liberation of Kuwait has begun. And it was, you know, one of those moments. Then all of a sudden, and that wasn't the president at the time saying that. That was uh, the Pentagon, basically. Uh, Yeah, at the Pentagon, the announcement was made, I believe. And now, you know, it's so much exposure. You know, you could live stream a primetime address and your reach would be unbelievable, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what it is. Uh, uh, comedian Shane Gillis in his latest Netflix stand-up special talk, talked about how Trump would do five speeches a day, essentially. He would talk to the media. He would say, even he said, even standing out in front of a helicopter. You know, he's about to get on uh, Marine One. And we talked about that. We actually said, yeah, uh, he's not afraid of the media at all. Not afraid to take questions almost to a fault. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he would stand there and answer a ton of questions. And look at how they're they are hiding Biden and have been since the beginning. They did it in 2020 and they're doing it now. He's going home on the weekend. They're keeping the media away from him. And. When it gets when it comes to the debate, the question is, well, what do you need to know, especially about these two? Here's a question. Take the politics out of it. Are conservatives and or Republicans much more willing to speak because they will stand by what they what you know, they, they will uh, st- they will stand strongly for what they believe. And they'll tell you the truth where you see it. You saw it yesterday. No Democrat wants to tell you what they actually truly believe. Right. Yeah. So that it's not just a Biden thing. Right. You know, think about it. 
Newsom, brand new. Mm-hmm. He got killed. Yeah. Yeah, and, I was about to say, I would have told Newsom that that debate wasn't necessary. Yeah. And you shouldn't have and, done it. And I, But I just wonder whether, now I can't count myself because you and I, you know, we just, we watch every minute of the day we're watching it. Right. Yeah. But there are sometimes my favorite politicians will be talking. I'm like, I'm sick of them. Shut up. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I've just been so overexposed to them. So you sit there and you go, as we do, we'll say, that was really, really good. And if they do a couple of things that aren't right on target, I'm irritated by it. I don't want to watch them anymore. Right, yeah. And I just wonder whether there's been so much overexposure where on the debates, unless you're the diehard people involved in the campaign, you just don't care. Right. And you think about it. The Newsom, you know, they were rallying 4.75 million. Really, in a debate? That is so unusual to have that kind of debate where they actually had long time to answer questions back and forth. Then they talk over each other. Mm-hmm. But it was really an interesting de- it was really an interesting debate to talk about the differences that we see, you know, and it, the difference was California versus Florida, mm-hmm. which could be rural urban. Right. They're really yeah. it's really sort of the same exact thing, mm-hmm. which I thought would be of massive interest to people. Eh, don't care. Right. What was it? Four and a half million people. Four point seven five. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at it, and you just go. Well, but that was interest. That was interesting. Whereas the debate tonight, nobody cares because Trump's not in it. And what issues are they going to go over? Everybody right. to have all these debates. Yeah. I already know where they. what Republican doesn't know where the candidates stand. What are you going to hear tonight that's going to go? Well, doggone it. I didn't know that. Right. Yeah, because that's... there's so much oh, there's so much exposure of these candidates, especially if you want it, it's there. Well, and that's why every every debate kind of loses more and more viewers and it's lower in the in the ratings. And tonight will be no exception. Eight six six ninety red eye. Brought to you by Hotshot Secret. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on roadside inspections. At a roadside inspection, inspectors may ask to see supporting documents. A supporting document is a document generated or received by a motor carrier in the normal course of business that can be used by law enforcement to verify a driver's logs. These documents can include bills of lading, itineraries, schedules, or equivalent documents that indicate the origin and destination of each trip. They can also include dispatch or trip records, expense receipts related to on-duty slash not driving periods, including receipts for meals, lodging, and fuel, electronic mobile communication transmitted through a fleet management system, and payroll records, settlement sheets, or equivalent documents that indicate payment to a driver. Drivers using paper logs must also keep toll receipts. Supporting documents must contain the driver's name, carrier assigned identification number or vehicle unit number that can be linked to the driver, the date, the name of the nearest city, town, or village, and the time. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio.
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley taking your calls. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. And I'm Gary McNamara. He's Eric Harley. Good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want. If you can't listen live overnight, boo. Mm. Uh, job openings. Was it nine? Went from nine point four million yeah, in September to, to eight point seven. Median well, forecast was to hold steady at nine point four, and of course it didn't. And now you look at the ADP numbers coming out, private sector payroll numbers coming out later this morning, and then unemployment report coming out uh, Friday morning. But the number of job openings going down is significant and we've talked about it over the years and um certainly in the last couple of years what we've seen with this persistent low unemployment that's going to change uh the available job openings dropping and then also companies having to cut back which they're already doing that started in this quarter and you have more, and yesterday there was more from analysts saying, yeah, pretty sure there's going to be a recession in 24. We just don't know how bad it will be. And that's the problem uh, that you that you have in a situation like this, is that the Fed wasn't serious about getting on top of inflation. But... Yesterday, it was almost people were talking as if it's a certainty. Well, the Fed's going to start dropping rates again. And I thought, well, I'm not sure about that. But if they do, are they trying to prevent uh, higher unemployment? Because the fact of the matter is, the if, if that's going to be the case, then inflation is going to be persistent and you're not solving anything. You have to slow the economy for that inflation to come to a, a target point. And now they're saying uh, instead of 2%, it actually should be three. We don't think the target of two is realistic anymore, but you know, we'll see where the, you know, what companies start doing after December, uh, a lot of temporary jobs, November and December, uh, even uh, October depending on what types of jobs. But in logistics, they they offer a lot. They expand uh, because of the, the big shipping season for Christmas. And you'll see that go away in January and February. I thought that was really interesting. There seemed to be a number of articles and analysis of uh, if layoffs are coming, who's going to get laid off first? Hmm. And the, the number of, of publications writing that, you talk to people in industry, they want, and business, they want people back in the office. Yeah. It's over. Yep. They want people back. Now, as I said before, there are certain people that are self-starters. A buddy of mine who was in sales for years mm. uh, would go into the office once a month. But the office, uh, the office was about 40 miles away, 40 or 50 miles away. Mm. And he didn't need to go in. They knew what he was doing every day. They knew he was going, who, you know, who he was going to see for sales, and he was always a self-starter. And he ended his career that way. Like the last fifteen years was remote, 
before remote was the thing. Mm-hmm. And it was simply a thing, well, why am I wasting my time, you know, driving 40, 50 miles each way to work? It's taking two and a half hours where I could use that to make calls. Right. And they, you know, and they agreed, you know, it wasn't a thing. And he, he said it wasn't really a thing where they for are you going to, it's simply not, you know, hey, won't be in the office today. Call me if you need anything. I'm going to be here, 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 here. And that's what it, that's what it evolved into. Mm-hmm. But it's really amazing. All the things that we had said in the very beginning, and they were questions in the very beginning when people started working remote. Can you build a team? Can you build a cohesive team by having everybody work remote? Mm. And they say, no. And why will the people that work remote be the first to uh, be laid off? Because they really don't know anybody in the company. Yeah. Some people got hired remote. They've always worked remote. They've never met the people that they work for, except on Zoom calls. Right. And you don't get to see them daily. And when it's your money or you're the boss, you want more control. Now, that could be beneficial in some cases. It might not be beneficial in other cases, depending on the personality of the owner of the company or the boss or, or, or your particular boss. But, yeah, it was, it's really interesting to see the, the passion now, the anti-remote, I'll call it a passion that exists out there, that they're saying we can't run our companies right. We can't do this. This is an opportunity to start over. And the opportunity yeah, is sure. you get rid, if the economy goes down, you get rid of those remote workers and the new workers that you bring in later on are people that come to the office. Well, that's the only way you're going to change that that culture. I don't know to what extent it's going to work in the tech industry. There's still high demand for uh, anybody with experience in the tech industry. Uh, but if you're trying to do a reset, then as you regroup and try and cut costs, that's what you hope to do is reset the culture of this working from home permanently. And as you expand later after a recession or if there is an expansion in the company, then you're going to demand that those new hires are going to work on campus. And and really, you know, that's uh, I have two family members that work remotely, but their jobs have always been remote. The company is always because of the nature of their jobs. It's always working from home. And everybody doing those jobs is working from home. I'm, I'm reading one uh, right here. It says uh, a, a, an article that was in stackoverflow.blog. Mm. Are remote workers more productive? That's the wrong question. It's that they want flexibility. Workers don't want to be uh, mo- workers don't want to be forced back to the offices. They want flexibility. Well, who doesn't? Right. Who doesn't want flexibility? Yeah. Who doesn't? Well, you know something, Eric. This job is taking too much of my time. I'm working at home. I'm working here. I need more flexibility. I'm getting to be an old man, but a productive old man. Yeah. Does any Does anybody care? Do no. I get Do I get any sympathy? Or it's like, no, just go do your job. <laughs> well, and it also you look at the past. I mean, you know, three years, um, and it, that's where 
the mindset was, I mean, it shifted dramatically during COVID. But a lot of young people came away with, well, no, I want this to be the case forever. I don't want to. And then it brought about the whole quiet quitting. And then it brought about the types of people that go, oh, do you want me to work eight to five? You want me to work a full eight hours? Oh, that's right. We you know? forgot the whining the last couple yeah. of months. I'm working nine to five. Yeah. It's horrible. Well, and I think back, and I know this goes back uh, with, my dad uh, and 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 their generation, and it was always that. Look, if you wanted to get ahead, you had to work harder and longer hours. That's just the way it was going to be. And so, when you bring up the idea of essentially FaceTime being there in the office, well, that's when if there's something you know, a special project or a promotion that comes up people are going to bring up the people that are in the top of mind. That's the way it works. You want that FaceTime. But for the people who just resigned to the fact that, nope, quiet quitting is going to be my life, don't expect that that you're going to benefit from that eternally. We've been in this state of low unemployment. But that's not going to last. Here's a question. Jobs that you, because looking at the future of AI, are more tech jobs where you work remote going to be taken over by AI or technical jobs where you have to fix things, which means you have to be there in the office, hmm. well, at, at, at the factory, whatever, yeah, whatever you want to, however you want to call it. Right. Well, I think there's, there's always room for automation, AI robotics, whatever, and, and expanding that. And, and as that technology evolves even further, you're going to see the expansion of that. But somebody has to, to fix point, the robots. Yeah. Someone's going to have to, there's going to have to be operators on point uh, or on, on, uh, on, on, on campus right there uh, that are going to have to, you know, repair, but also in the tech industry, we've mentioned this before, but it applies when there are so many proprietary issues right now with companies, they are very careful about uh, the devices you use to do business or to uh, to do your work if you're not in the office, if you're working remotely. And all of that has to be approved and protected heavily by the internal IT department because there are there's that risk of anything proprietary getting out. And that could be uh, anything from engineering or, or products that are in the works to employees' personal information. And, and all of that has to be considered. You know, think about this. When we expanded to the home during COVID, companies were expanding their office space we talked about how well, you know, they had the benefit of all right, not having, you know, to use up this office space right here in the actual office. No, it became the nightmare actually of expanding it into a bunch of tiny offices. That be that becomes a a 
especially when it comes to IT, a security nightmare. And I think there's, I think there are probably uh, a lot of companies that are still scrambling to basically pull all of that back in. You've got to be able to control the work environment, period. And the best way to do that is inside your four walls. There are a few exceptions to that rule. Out, uh, outside sales, well, you got to go literally knock on doors, those types of jobs. But even, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, uh, a number of things there, I one of my aforementioned family members works for a company, and he wanted to relocate and go to another. He works from home and has from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He wanted to relocate and move to another state, and they said no, because we've assigned you to that office that's and they have an office in your area and if there is something that that goes down or if there's a meeting that that is that's required you need to be there and that's just the way it is so they did not approve the move and you know there's a a ton of concerns there again when it comes to security and if your mindset is well i want to work from home you're either going to have to find one of those jobs that's always been a work-from-home job or you're going to have to change your mindset. From remoteworkjunkie.com, <laughs> recent study, 89% of human resources leaders told us that their teams have recently voiced concerns about job security, leadership changes, and reorganizations. In the uh, same study, remote uh, employees were 25% more likely to feel anxious in the wake of News about layoffs. In another recent survey, it was found that remote workers may be the first to go. 3,000 managers were surveyed, and 60% agreed it's likely remote workers would be laid off first, where only 20% said that's not, that's very unlikely mm. that it will be the remote workers first. Mm. So there you go. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Yeah, they say that uh, often the work of remote employees is less visible, therefore less noticed. Yeah. Managers don't feel the same professional connection when employees aren't there in person, and a person going to the office can often appear more invested in their work or career. It's like when you hire somebody, as they found out, what's one of the major reasons people hire you? Mm -hmm. The immediate boss. Because they believe they can work with you. Hmm. Yeah, and you have the you know, personality. Business re- has been relationship building from the beginning. And it's hard to do that at a distance. Again, if you're not top of mind, if you're not getting that FaceTime in front of management, then you're not going to be one of the first that they consider unless you're doing something that's highly specialized.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.